are. Welcome to the Strongest Stride podcast. Today we have a very exciting episode with a very special guest. Andy Dubois joined us on the show today and he is a world-renowned ultra running and trail running coach. So we were super excited to get his insight on power training. Yes, it was a fantastic episode because power is something that Soph and I have thought about on and off over the years, although we haven't actually had heaps of experience up until now using a power device in the past, setting intensity for training. We've always used things like heart rate or GPS data to actually see what time we're running and what our heart rate is and see how that matches. Um, But Andy taught us all about how power can be a really valuable way to set intensity and get the most out of your training, as well as pace better for training and races. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really insightful to have that extra understanding of what your intensity is because there are so many factors to consider and things that change throughout different weather conditions, different terrain, uh, different places to be running in. So it's a really nice way to be consistent through your training and get that exact data. So we are super excited to say that this episode is brought to you by Stride. Now Stride provide you with a running power device that you clip onto your shoe and it measures your running power, which will give you exact prescriptions for what intensity you should be running at. And it'll give you predictions for your race times as well. Um, So we're super excited to have Stride on board. Yeah, so essentially when you use the Stride device, you're going to be able to account for heels, wind, heat, humidity, all those different things that you're going to encounter on your run, but you're still going to have an idea of your power output. And I think probably anyone who's used to training on the bike will have a pretty good idea of their power output. And I think this is something that has been used forever in the cycling world, but uh, runners are just yet to sort of fully get on board with that. So it's really exciting uh, that we have Stride on board as a sponsor because we feel like it's an emerging space that's going to become the norm over the next five years, maybe five years, do you reckon? And we'll oh, be having Stride on those shoes yeah. two years. Well, we're both going to be using it very soon and we're excited to test it out and see how it goes, but I think it makes a lot of sense. So definitely worth checking out the link below if you're interested in checking out the Stride pod for yourself and we will let you enjoy the episode about his background, how he got into coaching, and then diving a little bit deeper into the whole world of power. How are you doing, Andy? Very well, thanks, Sophie. Yourself? Awesome. Very well. Thank you so much for coming on. If you want to kick things off with a little bit of an intro about yourself, what you do, and um, yeah, how you got to this point. So yeah, so I run an online coaching business called Mile 27. We primarily specialize in uh, ultra-distance trail running, a few marathoners and a few shorter distance athletes, but primarily it's um, ultra-runners. And as you said, I, I coach elites all around the world. Um, but it's, it's not just elites. I, my client base ranges from back of the pack to front of the pack and everywhere in between. So it's more about just helping people who want to get the most out of their running and just need some advice on um, how to do that. So I've been doing that for probably full time for about eight, nine years now. I have a personal training background, a triathlon coaching background, a strength conditioning background. But as the, as the modern world got more and more digital, I got some questions about, you know, do you do online coaching about, it was about 19 years ago? Because previously it all been just face-to-face coaching. And I said, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, I do online coaching. So I mad scramble um, <laughs> behind the scenes on the website to make my website look like I did online coaching. <laughs> and that's just grown and grown to the point now where I've got um, two coaches working with me and I'm pretty much booked out. And yeah, it's going, going really well. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, that would have been an interesting time when there was that transition from yeah everything being in person to then experiencing this online world. And did it take a while to get your head around coaching in that way? Because it's a totally different experience. I it guess, is you know. totally different. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, with with 
data and software and running watches and stuff these days, the information you can get from athletes is often more than what they actually understand themselves. So, I mean, I can often tell athletes, you know, you walk a bit too much in that run, so how do you know that? So I can see it from the data. So it made that transition relatively easy, but obviously a steep learning curve. You know, even the last three or four years, the data that I'm looking at now is vastly different to what I was looking at 10 years ago, just with the, the updates in technology in terms of GPS and power and the associated metrics with that. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, it seems like you're keeping up to date with all the technology, particularly in the power world now, which we'll talk about soon. But have you got any kind of just general philosophies with your coaching or anything that you've sort of, I guess, because you've been coaching for 20 years now, you probably have a really good understanding of what works for certain people or any kind of different ways to go about coaching or getting the most out of the athletes? Look, I think coaching, one of the fundamental things I try and install into my coaches and my own coaching is getting to know the athlete because every athlete's different. And if the more you understand and build a relationship with your athlete, the better you can coach them. So I mean, a lot of coaches kind of like try and you know, work out their, their techniques for coaching, whether it be, you know, threshold zone two, zone three, or whatever it is, and apply that to their athletes. Whereas I think you're better off understanding your athlete, understanding the time commitments, the level of input they want to have into their own coaching, how much time they've got to train, what their training goals are, what their current training is, whether that's worked or hasn't worked, and really working with the athlete rather than just providing a training plan. I, I, I see some coaches that are more about just providing a training plan, and for sure that's part of coaching, but it's only a small part. The, the extra stuff in terms of advising your athlete, guiding your athlete, you know, mentoring your athlete are just as important, if not more important, than just telling them to run 10Ks on Monday, do tempo on Tuesday and a long run on Saturday type thing. So I really try to stay on top of the, you know, the actual running side of things, but also really develop the other things in coaching that really goes from being a coach that gives you a training plan versus a coach that you have a strong relationship with and you can work together towards achieving those goals, which athletes may have not have thought possible. Mm, yeah, that's awesome. I think, yeah, that really is the difference between just getting kind of an online downloadable PDF program versus exactly. having someone who's actually looking after you, has your interests in mind, and it's way more individualized that way. So that's really cool. Are there particular types of athletes or um, events that you like to work towards with athletes, or are you kind of open to to anything with that? Yeah, look, the busier I get, the more specialized I get, the more picky I am with my clients. And mm-hmm. Some people get a little bit put off, I think, thinking I only coach elites. But to me, the ideal client doesn't, I don't care whether the front of the pack or back of the pack. What I want to see is someone who's willing to step outside of their comfort zone, someone who wants to take on something they're not sure whether they can do it or not. Like it might be stepping up to 100 miler and they've never done one before. It might be doing their first 50K. It might be just getting back into running you know, post injury or whatever. They're really uncertain or really you know, unsure whether they're ever going to do it again. Just somebody who's willing to give it a go and be guided and work with me rather than someone who just wants me to tell them what to do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So, I mean, this is why it's primarily the longer, harder, tougher events is what I prefer coaching. But it more depends on the athlete rather than the distance. If, if I see an athlete that I'm, I think I'm going to work really well with this person, this person really wants to learn, they're really prepared to step outside the comfort zone, then I'm keen to work with them. Yeah, that's cool. It's good. If they've got that attitude and they're willing to to go along that journey with you and um, really take on what you've got to say, I think that's that's a really cool way to do it. It makes it more fun, more fun to coach them. It's just, mm. you, know, you know, 
being a full-time coach, you get to the point where you think, well, I want to make sure that every athlete I coach, I look forward to doing their program each mm. day, whatever day it is, rather than, oh, God, it's so-and-so. Oh, this kind of does my hair. <laughs> Why don't they listen to what, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. I try and be pretty picky on the clients I take to make sure that there's going to be a good relationship between the two of us and a lot of respect both ways so we can work well together. Yeah. And how do you figure that out? Is that something that you're <clears> kind of screening, going through a bit of a questionnaire with them prior to this, or is it yeah, kind of... Definitely- Definitely a screening process. There's an extensive questionnaire that um, I give all new potential clients um, to fill out, but also a bit of a conversation goes along with that screen just to get a bit of feel for who they are and whether we strike up a conversation, strike up a relationship, because you know what it's like. You meet somebody and you know, whether it be professionally or personally, you either kind of click and you can have this conversation because I, I get along well with this person or making conversations just really difficult and you start mm-hmm. pulling teeth and you think, I don't want to work with this person. It's just <laughs> hard work. Yeah. So, yeah, being being pretty full means I can be picky and just pick those people who I think is going to be a beneficial relationship for both of us. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the key, isn't it? As long as, yeah, it's working on both ends because it's all good and well for you to be keen to work with them and interested, but it's kind of got to go both ways and for you to have that, yeah, kind of instant connection or, yeah, ease of that relationship, I think, yeah, seems to make things a little bit more comfortable and successful, I guess. Um, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing a little bit about that. I'd love to get some understanding from you about what is running power. Should we be using it? What does it mean? Kind of the real basic 101. If no, if someone listening is like, what are we talking about? Um, what is it? Cool, cool. All right. So I think the first thing before we touch on power is the first thing to think about is whenever we're doing any kind of training, we need to have some kind of guide on intensity whether that be easy, moderate, hard, super hard, wherever it is, whether we use RPE or pace or heart rate or power, we need, as a coach or if you're coaching yourself, you need to say, oh, this one's going to be at this intensity. Without that, you just guess. And that's the problem I see with a lot of beginner athletes is they just don't know how hard they should be running. And often the mistake is people want to run all runs hard, thinking the harder they run, the better they're going to get. You know, we know that's not the case. So you've got to have some means of measuring intensity. Now, traditionally, you know, we started off with just using effort. Then as technology improved, we got to start using pace. And then heart rate monitors came about. I mean, I remember showing my age now, but when heart rate monitors first came out, it wasn't even wrist-based. It was a chest strap. But the, the diabetes monitor was on your chest strap. So you actually mm-hmm. had to look down, flip the little strap up to see what the number was. You couldn't even oh. look at it. <laughs> Yeah, wow. back in when well, early 90s, I think. Oh, wow. So we've come a long way since then. <clears throat> so no matter what it is, you've got to have something that you can use to determine intensity. So that's all power is. Power is just another way of determining intensity. Now, the difference between power and heart rate and pace is where, for me, the, the beauty lies in using power. So some examples. If we're using pace on a flat ground, then it's pretty comparable. Any run we do, if we want to run five minute 30k pace, then it doesn't matter whether it's flat here or flat there or flat somewhere else, it's always just flat five minute 30k pace. But what are you running into a strong headwind? That 530 pace is now much, much harder. So it's obviously you're working harder even though you're running mm. the same pace. What are you running uphill? Obviously it's harder. What are you running downhill? Well, obviously it's easier. So pace falls by the wayside where we have hills or headwinds. We can't really use it when we get any of those. Now, there's not too many athletes that wouldn't have some kind of hills or some kind of headwinds to deal with in their typical training. So 
place, you know, really for the majority of athletes it's unusable on a day-to-day basis. Now, you might be able to use it for some runs, but as a coach, the beauty of having a metric that you compare all runs with means we can look at this week's training versus last week's training versus a training a year ago and look at their improvement or what's going wrong. Whereas the pace we can't do that because, oh, that day was windy, we can't, can't use that to compare. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were doing hills that day, we can't compare that pace, you know. So for me, that will pace out. And then we look at heart rate. And look, heart rate's been around for a while and plenty of athletes still use heart rate. The problem I have with heart rate is, is twofold, really. First of all, it's slow to respond. So if you're doing a set of intervals, say you're doing, I don't know, 10 400s, then anybody who's used a heart rate and done that kind of session will know that you know, the first rep, your heart rate might be 150 after the first rep, then it's 157 after the second rep, 163 after the third, 168 after the fourth. And from then on, at the end of each rep, it kind of sits 168, 172. But it's only towards the end of the rep that the heart rate gets to that point. Now, the more reps you do, the quicker the heart rate gets up to it. But using heart rate as a means of looking at your wrist and going, I need to speed up or slow down, you can't really use it because mm-hmm. it's slow to respond to the change in pace. Now, if you're doing a tempo run where you might be doing, say, two 20-minute efforts, it's more usable because, you know, after the first four or five minutes, the heart rate's dropped to a steady state range. So now I can monitor it and go, okay, well, it's 162. I want to keep it at 162. or it's 158. Let's pick it up a little bit. So it's more usable in that case. But then the problem I have is, well, how do we determine what intensity we should be running at? How do we know what heart rate is the right heart rate to run at? And that's where it gets really murky in terms of, well, how, how do we define zones? How do we define training zones? Is it 220 minus your age, your max heart rate, then it's 80% of that? Or is it 208 minus an age times the multiplier to give you max heart rate? Mm. Or do you do a max heart rate test? Or do you do a lactate threshold test and measure your heart rate average over the last 20 minutes? Which one of those is right? Well, maybe one of them, maybe none of them, depending on how you test that, depending on what environment you test that in. If you test that in the middle of winter and then you're trying to use the same heart rates in the middle of summer, that's not going to work because your heart rate's naturally going to be higher for the same pace on a 30-degree, 80% humidity day compared to a 15-degree day. And then you've got the accuracy of heart rate monitors themselves. I mean, heart rate used to be more reliable, and I say that because we didn't used to use wrist-based heart rate. We used to use chest-based heart rate monitors, which are still way more accurate than wrist-based ones. Now, if you're using wrist-based ones, for some people, they're pretty accurate, but you know, I monitor literally hundreds of data files of athletes' runs every week. And if you look at heart rate, you know, very, very commonly you will see, oh, they're cruising at 150. Oh, hang on a second, 180 for like 15 minutes. And the pace hasn't changed. Like mm. wrist-based heart rate monitors are not accurate enough that you can rely on it session after session, week after week, year after year, to give you good feedback that allows you to monitor your training regularly. So for those reasons, I don't really like heart rate. I mean, it's also affected by caffeine. Have a caffeine, a cup of coffee before you run, your heart rate's going to be higher. Anybody who's raced will know that if you're standing outside waiting for your heart rate to pick up on your watch before the start of an easy run, it's like 80 or 70 or 60 or whatever it is because you just walk out of your house. You're standing, you haven't warmed up. You're just about to run. If you're standing at the start line of a race, it's probably 120 or 130. So straight away, as soon as you start running, your heart rate's not going to reflect what you've done in training. It'll take a while to stabilize. Now, often the difference between a good race and a bad race 
is what you do in the first 10 to 20 or 30 minutes of that race in terms of intensity. Go out too hard and you blow up. So you want something that you can look at your watch at the start of a race and go, I'm confident this is the right data for me to give me the feedback I need to pace by. And heart rate, I just don't think we can be accurate enough with it for most people to rely on that. So that's where power comes in. So power is just a measure of the work that you do as you're running. Now, with power, the easy way to think about it is the same as pace, except when you're going up or downhill or when you're going into the wind, it adjusts the power to an equivalent level as you would be on the flat. So it's similar in a way to, you know, some people may have heard of um, parade-adjusted performance, um, where, you know, if you're running 530s on the flat and you go up a 7-minute incline, there's software that can say, well, that's the equivalent of 6-minute 30 pace on the flat for the same relative effort. So it's similar to that, but because it's instantaneous, because the power meter will tell straight away whether you're going uphill or downhill, you don't have to wait till you come home to load up the software to see whether you're pacing evenly. Like you can go, well, I was sitting at 220 watts on the flat. I'm now running uphill when it says 250 watts. I should slow down. Ah, that's not, now it's doing about the same effort as what it was on the flat. So it gives you fairly instantaneous reading of your effort level which means, for example, if you're doing some hill repeats, and say you're doing it on a 5% gradient, and you average, it doesn't matter whether it's two minute or five minute or whatever, but you average 250 watts for those six hill repeats you did. Now the next week, for whatever reason, you choose to do a different hill that's a different gradient. Well, the benefit of power is you can just say, well, I averaged 250 watts last week, so let's try and do 250 watts or 255 watts this week. It doesn't matter the gradient. Whereas if you're using speed, you would have to adjust. I mean, if you use speed and you did the same hill every week, you would know, like, okay, that hill I'm always averaging six minute Ks. So let's try and do 555. But as soon as you change the hill, you can't mm. use pace anymore because it's a different gradient. Whereas power, we can go, well, I was doing 250 watts last week on that hill, so I should be able to do 250 watts this week on this hill. So it means we can take those measures and just apply them over any terrain, no matter what, and be confident that our prescribed exercise intensity is going to get us to where we need to be to get that training adaption of the session. Wow. Okay. First up, I'm I'm pretty sold on it already. <laughs> um, that's so interesting. I think firstly, just all the heart rate stuff and how variable that can be. Of course, it just depends on so many different factors and will change so frequently. So for us to just think, okay, my zone two heart rate is always 130 or whatever it is. It's just so hard to then apply that to, as you said, so many different situations and what you've done prior to it and the terrain and all that kind of thing. So yeah, it's quite eye-opening just initially um, really, really finding this interesting. Um, firstly, just a few logistical questions. How does it actually know, you mentioned the, the headwind, how does it know what's going on with the wind? Sorry. Well, they're actually two technical words. We've got accelerometers in the pods, um, which measure forward, back, side to side, up and down. So that's one way. And the second way, it's got a, a barometer in the actual pod itself. So it's got a wind sensor in the mm. pod. So they've tested it on trade mills and wind tunnels and et cetera. So you'll find, like, I live in Byron and often I run along the beach. So before, because the wind one is only two or three years old, so before the wind one came about, it had the same problem as pasted. So, you know, you'd run one way at 200 watts, run the other way at 230 watts, because you one way you're going into the wind, next way you're coming with the wind, so you're running faster. 
But with the wind one, what happens now is you can be running into a really strong headwind at 200 watts and turn around, around and run what feels like the same effort and you're still running 200 watts, but the pace is a minute per K quicker mm. because you're now got a tailwind versus a headwind. Mm. So yeah, the use of the little barometer, the wind sensor in the pod and the accelerometers allow you to determine pace and the wind effect and et cetera, and the gradient, whether you're going up a hill or going along the flat. Yeah. Okay, cool. No, that makes sense. And then, so you use a foot pod. I know that the watches give a power reading, but is that completely inaccurate, similar to the heart rate from a wrist? Oh, well, it depends on the watch. Mm-hmm. Um, what I see with my data is that in order from best to worst, the stride foot pod is by far the best power uh, meter out there, which mm-hmm. is the foot pod. Second best would probably be Coros power, watch power. Particularly if you use the Coros pod, then mm-hmm. Coros power without the pod, and then Sunto power, and then Polar power, and a distant last is Garmin power. Apple, Apple power is not too bad. Power is probably a little bit below Coros power. Garmin power is the worst by a long, long way. Garmin power is pretty much unusable. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is, is they measure it a little differently, like Coros and Apple and um, Sunto and Stride. If you look at the numbers, they're all pretty similar. So if it's 200 watts on Stride, it might be 190 to 210 on the other models, whereas Coros with Garmin, it might be 300. It's always higher. There's some technical reasons why that is, which I won't bore your listeners with. But the problem with going higher is that it varies a lot more. So if you're running along and you look at your watch and it says 210 watts, then your target is, say, 200 watts plus or minus 5. I'll slow down a little bit. Oh, 195 watts. Okay, that's fine. But if your watch says 300 watts and your target is 250 and you slow down, oh, now it's 200 watts, so I'll speed up a bit. Oh, now it's 280 watts. Oh, now I'll slow down a bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, now it's 220 watts. Like, mm-hmm. it's unusable to actually mm-hmm. when you're running. Now, post-analysis, it's reliable in that I can compare different runs and say your average power was higher or lower and that matches their their feelings and the speed and everything else. So post-run analysis, it's relatively good, but Garmin Power with on your wrist is completely useless in terms of pacing something by. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, Stride's by far the best, but the other all the other models are pretty similar. I and mean, then it depends on how accurate you want it to be and what kind of terrain you run on, whether it's worth getting paying the extra for a Stride pod. Mm-hmm. It also depends on, like, let's... Let's not get too bogged down by the data. I mean, I love data. I love maths. I love looking at data files. I analyze them all day long. But I'm fully aware that some people don't like looking at data and some people prefer to run just by feel. Now, I've got some athletes who do that, but because they wear a watch that has power, I'm able to analyze that and give them feedback on that so they can just run without even looking at the watch and tell me, oh, that felt good or that felt hard. And I look at the data and go, well, it felt hard because you went out 10 watts faster than you usually do and it was a hot day. That's why it felt hard. So then they can take that data and that information and go, okay, next time I need to slow down a little bit and apply that to their own perceived rate of exertion on the next run. So if you're not kind of keen on looking at data, then you probably need some help in using power. But if you are keen on data, and you know, quite a lot of runners are, then... Mm. It's definitely worth investigating for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And then when we're looking at kind of, I guess, prescription and planning and programming and coming back to the heart rate, um, talking about lactate threshold testing and that kind of thing, um, 
there's a lot of talk at the moment about the polarized training and the 80 20 and that kind of thing zone two is really just what everyone's talking about at the moment how do you assess your kind of zone two or your training zones how does that look when you're looking at power rather than um, heart rate alone yeah cool so first of all i think it's important to understand that in terms of zones you know that we some people have a three zone model there's a five zone model it's an eight zone models it's important to understand there's only really three well-defined zones and even them the, the boundaries between zone one and zone two and the boundary between zone two and zone three is far less um, definitive than people think. They're more like phase transitions from one to the other rather than like, okay, you're now in zone two, uh, therefore this. It's kind of a gradual change from zone one into zone two. But in simple terms, zone one to zone two boundaries where you go from feeling really comfortable doing a run, you can talk, have a normal conversation, to where I still feel comfortable, but now conversation-wise, you, know, you can't hold a normal conversation. You talk in shorter sentences. You know you're working, but it still feels fairly comfortable. And then the transition between zone two, zone three, um, aerobic threshold is more where it goes from being able to hold a conversation to now I really can't talk very well at all. And if I go much faster, I'm going to have to slow down pretty quickly because we're now into that 10K, 5K, 3K intensity. But within each zone, it's quite a broad range. Like there's a big gap between the border of zone one and zone two where you can run and still have a relatively normal conversation and zone two and zone three where you virtually can't talk at all. That's a big mm -hmm. range of intensity. So zones are more designed to get you in the ballpark of where you want to be. But with my athletes, we'll never really talk about zones. We talk about, I want you to run at 200, 210 watts for this run, 300, 310 watts for that run rather than dialing on zones. But to answer your question, we using power, what tends to happen is if you haven't got a coach, the Stride and software recommend, and Coros is the same, recommends you do a few what called fitness tests, which is usually a three-minute all-out effort and a 10 to 12-minute all-out effort. And from those two efforts, they can work out your threshold. Mm -hmm. And all the intensities are based around your threshold. So threshold is 100%. So an easy run would be 75 to 80%. Tempo would be kind of like 85 to 90%. Marathons like 89 to 92%. Half marathons like 92 to 95%. All depends on the athlete, but everything's determined from that threshold, which is derived from you giving the software model the information it needs, which can be as simple as a three-minute all-out effort and a 12-minute all-out effort. And then Stride software will spit out and say, here's your training intensities. Coros will do something similar as well. The other watchers won't, so you'll need the help of either a coach or do a bit of investigating yourself to work out your training intensities. Mm -hmm. um, but there's plenty of, plenty of free software out there that allows you to just plug in the numbers and say, okay, my threshold is 230 watts. So just like you might you might come from a heart rate paradigm where you think, okay, my easy run should be, my threshold should be 80% of my max, my easy run should be 80% of my threshold. So what we've got to do is work out the threshold and power and all the same kind of intensity prescription apply is basing it off power instead of a heart rate. Just quickly interrupting the episode team to tell you about our wonderful sponsor, which is Stride. Now Stride is simply a wearable device which you clip onto your shoe with a little mount and it gives you a power output for your running. So this way you'll be able to take into account heels, speed, wind, humidity, and actually get a true indication of your performance every time you're going for a run. 
Yeah, it's a really nice way to prescribe your intensity so that you can balance your training, your recovery, your performance, and you can perform really well. It'll also give you a race predictor so that you know exactly what paces you need to be hitting within those races. If you'd like to purchase one for yourself, click the link below. I think at the moment the listeners might be a little bit overwhelmed with all the numbers. How, yeah. like, if we can kind of simplify how, I don't know, I don't know if it's possible to kind of correlate exactly because there are so many variables but you know for the listeners hearing six minute pace five minute pace those kind of numbers probably resonate quite clearly and people can understand what that means when we're talking power and you're saying 200 or 300 is there a way for you to kind of simplify that for listeners to understand like oh 200 watts is generally a jogging type pace or is that a little bit too complicated to, to say um it's not so much it's too complicated it's more a case of it's individual specific yeah so you can have me running along at an easier pace at say 200 watts and someone else running with me same same pace still puts up for example their 250 watts so it, it's really weight dependent like stride works out try not to get too technical but try stride works out your watts per kilogram then you put in your weight that multiplies it up to give you your power so mm-hmm. if you only weigh 60 kilograms then your numbers will be low if you weigh 80 kilograms your numbers will be higher so you can't really compare watts per se person to person it all depends on what your weight mm, is you can tell yep. what's per kilo but it just gets more and more complicated but mm. the thing with power is like with anything we need to simplify it down to something that's usable rather than go, oh my god it sounds interesting but like it's too many numbers like yeah too hard. so that's where if you do the test do a three minute all out test 12 minute all out test you can go either use stride or do it yourself or you can go into something called the superpower calculator free thing on Google and it'll spit out what your threshold is mm-hmm. and say that's 250 watts. That's your threshold. Or then zone two is going to be around 220 to 250. Easy runs are going to be 200, 210 watts mm-hmm. and intervals are going to be 260, 270 watts. Okay. Just like if you were to work out your threshold in minutes per kilometre, you might say, well, my 10K time is five minute K pace. So my slow, long, slow run should be six-minute K pace. Mm. My 1K repeats at the track should be a fraction quicker than my 10K pace, etc. So it's no more complicated than doing the same thing with heart rate or minutes per K. Yeah. Just substitute watts in instead of minutes per K. I mean, you have to get those numbers from somewhere. If you're using numbers, then you're working out your minutes per K to run your easy runs at or your tempo runs out. You're working them out somehow. Mm. Like you don't just pick numbers out of the air. You go, well, no, my my fast pace is usually this. Well, power is no different. It's no more complicated than that. Most people, if they got a recent 10k or a 5k, they'll use that information to work out what heart rate or what pace their easy runs and the hard runs are based on that race. So it's no more complicated than that. Like, mm-hmm. let's not get too bogged down by the finer details of power. When the simple terms, that's all it is. It's just another number you can use to guide intensity that allows you to run into headwinds with headwinds up and down hills without worrying about the number changing. Yeah, awesome. No, I think that that really simplifies it. And does it consider as well, as well as elevation and headwind, does it have any way of looking at terrain in terms of if you were on a really rocky single track that's much more technical than an open fire trail or a road, or is that not quite there yet? Um, yes and no. So the footpod doesn't know you're running on a uneven ground or technical ground. Mm. So if you're running at the same perceived effort, you've gone from running on a bit of you know, dead flat, pancake smooth fire trail, 
and you've turned off and you're now running on some windy single track with some rocks and tree roots and you're running at the same perceived effort, your power is going to be a little bit lower. Which you might think, well, doesn't that kind of go against the reason to use power? Well, yes and no. Because what I find is that the better technical skills a trial runner has, the less the difference there is between mm-hmm. the power that was on the road versus the power you run on the trail. So like when I run around my place, I've got a whole range of sandy trails, a bit of hard pack trail, sandy beach, hard pack beach, etc. And my power is pretty much consistent on everything except for the soft sand. For obvious reasons, you're running much, much slower. And no matter how good your technique is, it doesn't help you run. You're just going to be running slower. But on the single track stuff, the little windy stuff, my power number is almost exactly the same. Well within the, the margin or variance. So you know, like anything, unless you're running on a track, you're kidding yourself if you can run 4 minute 30Ks plus or minus a second on roads or trails anyway. There's going to be plus or minus you know, a few seconds either way. And on trails, a bit more so. Power's the same. It's going to vary a little bit. But you know, I might be running 200 plus or minus 3 watts on the road. And then on my single track trail, I'm running 200 plus or minus 5 or 10 watts. Still fine. It's still guiding me on my prescription. But then what I see with you know road runners who come to trail, and when we look at their race results on trails versus, say, a long-term trail runner, is that the long-term trail runner, who may not be as fit as the road runner in terms of, say, 10K pace, but they could hold higher power levels because their skill on trail is better. And so for the road runner, it's a marker of, okay, well, when I run on road, it's 220 watts, but when I run on trail, it's 200 watts. Well, there's an area of improvement because I should be able to get pretty close to where I can run on roads, on trails. So it gives you that feedback that you can now know where you can improve and monitor how you're improving. Because you might have done you know, your standard 10K trail loop a year ago and, and you've done 200 watts. One year later, for the same effort, you're now doing 205 to 10 to 20 watts. It's not feeling any harder. Well, your technical skill has improved as well as your fitness. So it, it can't account for anything apart from showing that you're running slower. A super technical terrain where it doesn't matter how skilled you are, unless you're killing your journey, is like you're not going to be looking at your watch anyway. I mean, my advice to runners is always if you're running along a trail and you're too scared to look at your watch for the fear you're going to fall over, then it does not matter what metric <laughs> you're using, it's useless anyway. Because it doesn't matter if it's heart rate, pace, power, or anything, you can't look at your watch, you can't guide you. You're limited by your ability on that trail. So it's a skill deficit rather than an intensity um, mm. deficit that you need to worry about. Develop your skill first. And when you're skilled enough to run on a trail and look at your watch at the same time, then you can start thinking about, am I running too fast, too slow, just right, or whatever. Yeah, nice. I think that's really helpful. And it's a good comparison too because that transition from a road runner to a trail runner, you could look on paper at, yeah, their lactate threshold or their heart rate data and go, okay, this athlete is much fitter than this other one. But if that skill component's lacking, then it's nice to now be able to have a way to to show that, to show the difference, yeah. like, objectively. Yeah. Um, I think that's really helpful. Also, like, I hope a client of mine was, particular example of this so she did the 20k 21k at um uta a few years ago coming from roadrunner background and another client of mine who hadn't done road for ages wasn't wasn't fast compared to this roadrunner like they were definitely a step apart in terms of ability on the road but on the trail the trail runner almost beat the roadrunner whereas on a 10k race would be five minutes eight minutes behind 
So it really highlighted the difference between, okay, so your fitness is way superior to this athlete, but she was only three minutes behind you over you know, two and a half, three hours, where mm-hmm. she should have been 15, 20 minutes behind you, which is just highlighting the skill development you need on trails. So it really helped refine what we need to do with this athlete to get her to the point where she could race to her ability, to her fitness ability on the trails. So for that point, it was extremely helpful. Mm, for sure. And do you, um, in terms of racing, so we've got kind of understanding a little bit more about training and how you utilize that and prescribing a certain power or a range of powers for easy runs or tempo runs or whatever it is. How do you look at it when you're going into a race with an athlete? If you've got someone who's doing a trail race, are you setting them a target um, power for that for that run or are they going off feel when it's in a race environment you've got other factors to consider? So for road races and stuff, the, the Stride app and Coros and probably Garmin as well, depending on what data you feed them, are pretty good at giving you predicted race times. So feed them the right data. I mean, they're all software models, so they're all reliant on the data you feed it. And if you're doing nothing but easy runs, then it can't really predict what you're going to do. But if you feed it the right data, then the models are pretty good at predicting your finish time. Of course, on trails, it's almost impossible because determining how technical a trail is, you know, slow you down or speed you up, how hilly it is, etc. So it's virtually impossible to predict a race time with any accuracy. But the good thing with power, and particularly for the longer races, is that the longer you go, the less accurate you have to predict your finish time with to get an accurate target for your power. So to explain what that means in real terms, if you're talking about a 10K race on trails, you, know, you probably want to get your estimated time within kind of four or five minutes tops to determine an accurate power number to guide you on that race. It's all looking a 50k race, which might take eight to nine hours. Within the nearest hour or two would be accurate enough because the difference in power is like five watts, four watts per hour. Given power will fluctuate five or 10 watts just running anyway, you only have to get it, get it within the accuracy or the variance of power when you're running to be useful. So if you're running and it says 200 watts, the next minute it says 208 watts and it says 194 watts, if your target is within that variance, then it's fine. You've got no issues. So because the difference between, say, an eight-hour race and a 10-hour race is within that variance of trails, you only have to have a ballpark figure of your estimated finish time to be able to determine an accurate starting pace. You might think, well, surely if you're that inaccurate with your guess, having that kind of inaccuracy at the start is going to lead to overpacing or underpacing or whatever. But it doesn't actually work that way at all. What I see, if I give a client a target wattage and they follow that target wattage, I know without a doubt they're going to have a good race. The times where I see clients cramp, have stomach issues, you know, really fall off in the back end of the race, when I look at their data, it's like, why are you going out 20 watts higher than what my target I gave you was? Oh, it felt so comfortable. Mm. And that that is the issue. When you talk at ultras particularly, but... You know, on trails, that might mean anything longer than three or four hours, which for some people might only be 30K, depending on the nature of the race. But when you talk of anything over three or four hours, what feels comfortable to start can often be way too fast. So to put it in minutes per K, which some people will probably understand a little bit better, if you're talking about a 100K race and you're talking taking 15 hours to do it, now your average pace to finish that is seven, seven and a half minutes per K. 
Now, your long training runs might be six minutes per K. So your average finish pace is slower than your long training runs. Mm. So if you're going out faster than what your long training runs are because you feel fresh and rested, adrenaline pumping, it's a race, let's go, it's still going to feel very, very easy. But we know that it's not going to end up very easy at all. And people say, oh, I got cramped because I had the wrong thing or did this or did No, you got cramped because you went out too fast. You got stomach upsets because you went out too fast. Mm. And well, that's not the only reason, but it's a main reason for problems during a race is going out too fast at the start. So we can say, look, I want you to get your power 190 to 200 watts. Your long runs, you've been averaging 200 to 210. So it's going to feel easier than your long run. But stick with it. And I promise you, I promise <laughs> that five or six hours in, but all those people that passed you early on, you start passing them like they're standing still. You go, thank you, coach. Thank you very much. Because mm. I've seen it happen over and over and over again. So you don't need to be that accurate when we talk in three or four hour races. You just need to get up within the range of variance of what power does on trails anyway. And it's not that hard. And it's a huge thought. I mean, for me, being primarily an ultra coach, before I used to have to say, okay, at the start, I want you to start really easy. And if it feels about right, slow down a bit more. Mm. That's about as precise as you can get. And mm. hope, hope that with all the adrenaline and the fresh legs, they still manage to tone it down a bit. And then it's not till after the race you can look at it and go, all right, well, you, you, know, you started off in your 100th place and then you got up to 90th place and 80th place, but then you were 150th, 200 mm-hmm. and 250th. Okay, well, that means you started too fast. Oh, but it felt so easy. Well, mm. we can see that you were too fast. But with power, we can now give them a number and say, well, you started 230 watts. And it wasn't until the fourth hour you dropped down to the target. And by that time, the damage is already done. You've already spent four hours, 20 watts over target. You've already elevated your body temperature by too much. You've put more blood away from your stomach to your muscles to help you run faster. Now your stomach's not functioning as well because all the blood's gone away from your stomach. You're starting to overheat. You're not getting the calories in because your stomach's not working effectively, you start, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So power gives us that ability to give feedback post-race, but also give some guidance pre-race on where they should start at. Yeah, that discussion of going out too hard, too fast, and then having that conversation afterwards about, but I felt good. Like, it's so common, isn't it? And I, I guess it just comes down to that trust between you and your athletes and them being able to believe you and know that, you know what's best and know that it will pay off but there is just something within all of us as runners that we just can't help ourselves sometimes but I think if you then have that exact number or range of numbers or power that you're targeting um, if you can trust that rather than yeah as you said because yeah making sure that it feels easy like easy is so subjective isn't it and it can change so quickly and it can feel easy for a long time and then all of a sudden it might not do you find when people do it correctly and as you've asked do you find that they're able to sustain that power like throughout the whole 10 hours or 15 hours whatever it is so it's a good question the perfect race for you know anything more than anything under about four hours is consistent power throughout just like for a marathon, your perfect pacing for a marathon is pretty much even pacing throughout the whole race. Once it gets longer than about five or six hours, we know from multiple studies that everyone slows down, just the faster runners slow down less. So what, what, what I can do post-race is when I look at the results and look at the data and say, look, now from start to finish, you slowed down about 10% over 10 hours. That's a fantastic race. And if they run something like that, they will have noticed that 
towards the end of the race, they were passing people like they were standing still. If they slow down about 15%, it does vary a bit depending on how long the race is, but 15% is probably par, meaning you ran a really good race. It wasn't fantastic, but it was a good solid race. If they slowed down 20, 25%, something happened. Went out too fast or something happened mid-race or whatever the case may be. So there is going to be some slowdown. But if you start out at the right level, that slowdown will be the optimal slowdown for the race they're running. What's funny, though, sometimes is that when people follow my recommendations and they finish the race and they feel really good, this little voice in their back of the head says, how come I'm feeling so good at the end of this race? Maybe if I'd gone out faster, I would have run faster overall. Mm. Well, me as a coach says, no, 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 no. Look, <laughs> you set an hour PB. Like, how much better do you do you want to go? Like, last year you ran the race and you felt 100% spent by the end of the race. And the last 20K was a little struggle. This race, you were strong the last 20K. Past a load of people, I ran an hour PB. Like, that's how races should feel. But so many people have had this experience of, you know, the last 20K, particularly of an ultra, but often a marathon as well, just being this real slog fest, this real mental battle about, come on, come on, just keep running, don't walk, don't walk. That they're used to that being the measure of success. So if I can just finish a race feeling like I've laid it all out there and can count, that's the measure of a good race. Whereas in actual fact, if you pace it really well, not saying you won't feel tired at the end of a race, but you'll still be running where others are walking. You'll still be running well where others are slow jogging. And surely that's a better measure of success than just being the last 20K death march into the finish. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that's a total mindset shift for some people, though, to to come away from a race feeling okay and not feeling completely destroyed and just collapse on the ground for a couple of hours. But, um, yeah, I think if they can get their head around that and appreciate that, then that um, will be quite helpful. Um, No, that's awesome. I think people have probably got quite a nice understanding now. So if we kind of do a little bit of a recap, I think if they can get a stride pod or a chorus pod, try it out, do that three-minute, 12-minute test, get their – threshold or or power meters from there um, and know kind of what they need to be targeting. Um, They can give it a go and figure out whether it works. I'm obviously going with someone like yourself or if you're too busy, one of your other coaches um, to get a greater understanding of that and to have that more individualized approach and have some more deeper understanding if they are interested. I think, um, yeah, it sounds like it could be quite revolutionary for for a lot of people's training. Yeah. It's it's getting more and more common to I mean, Stride came out about, seven or eight years ago with the first, there were probably a couple before then mounted in the shoe that came out with the first kind of pod amount of power. And since then, you know, Chorus, Garmin, Apple, Polar, Funto have all brought power into their watches. Obviously, it's a thing that uh, people are wanting. It's just going to get better and better the way we use power and the measurement of power. So it's the metric that we'll be using in the future. I mean, bike racers know this. Anybody who's ridden a bike, the content of power is, of course you use power. Why wouldn't you use power? Power for running is a little bit more complicated because unlike in a bike where any movement you put down the pedal results in you going forward, so it's an absolute measure of power, whereas running it's taken a while because you know, we lose energy into the ground, so the energy we've got to put into the ground isn't 100% returned to us. So the modelling of power took a lot longer to get to a point where you could use it, but it's just getting better and better and better. So it, it is the way forward as far as I see, and it's just getting more and more popular. For those that are interested, I've done quite a few YouTube um, videos on how to use power. If they just type my name in and stride or power in Google, you should come up yeah. with quite a few different YouTube channels which will talk in a bit more depth on how to use power and how, particularly how to use it on trail 
and in ultra races. And obviously, if there's any questions on how to use it, just contact myself and I'm more than happy to answer anybody's questions to help them along the way. Yeah, awesome. Appreciate that. We'll have some of those videos linked below as well. Um, and you've been on plenty of podcasts and had your own podcast as well. So we can link all of that below and they can check out your Instagram and um, yeah, maybe send through some questions if they've if they've got any. And if you ever have some space opening up, I'm sure you have some clients um, knocking at your door trying to get in Absolutely. and yeah, hear, hear more from you because yeah, you obviously know a lot about this stuff. So it's really fascinating to hear and um, yeah, really appreciate you sharing. Pleasure to be on board. Awesome. Thank you. Now, before we wrap up, the final question that we always ask our guests is what is your favorite favorite pair of running shoes at the moment? If you could only choose one. I'd have to go with the Challengers, Hocker Challenger ATR. Oh, nice. Yeah, just okay. because they, for multi-purpose. me, they're, they're multi-purpose, yeah. And as someone in my, I've got a kilometer of road, then some beach trails and some hard pack trails and some road again. It just means I can chuck on the Challengers. doesn't matter what the terrain is, they're good to go. So you can't beat them. Yeah, nice. I love it. Awesome. All right, we will leave that there. We'll have everything linked below. Um, And yeah, thank you again for your time. Pleasure. All right. Thank you so much for listening to that episode with Andy. I don't know what Lydia's laughing about, but we had a fantastic time recording with Andy and we learned so much. I walked away from that recording kind of blown away and just amazed that I'd never really considered power training to be that helpful and I sort of thought it was a bit of a, oh, it's just another thing, another thing to buy, another thing to complicate. But I think it really, really simplifies things. You don't have to worry about all the other metrics with heart rate and paces and those kind of things. And you just got your one number you need to stick to. And those zones are really, really accurate no matter where you're running. So I am a fan. Mm, Yeah, I like it a lot. And I think I probably have a similar uh, thought as well, or like at least I used to think similarly. Like I always liked the idea of it because – I love the science of running and I love data and I love numbers. But I remember when I was first introduced to it years and years ago, I was like, oh, I just don't know if I want to complicate running any more than I than it already is. Like I already have a watch that tells me my cadence, my heart rate, my pace, my elevation. And I was like, oh, I just don't think I need any more. Like that's enough, like no more numbers. But I yeah. actually think I've changed my mindset on it now. Like I actually think it's less, like you just have power. And that's it. Like, I mean, power and heart rate. And Andy talks about that, obviously, in the episode. You guys have just listened to it. But, yeah, I'm really excited to have this next training block with power because I think it's going to be really, really helpful. And especially for me at the moment because uh, I'm not running. Like, I'm injured slash I'm hoping to return to running. I want to say in the next month, possibly two weeks, but we'll see. And I think this will be helpful for me because I know in the past when I've returned from running from injuries, I find it so hard to <laughs> to just come back slowly. You know what I mean? Like I think yep. everyone experiences that. Like you just are thinking about how you used to feel and you want to just run at that same feeling or pace. So I think having power will probably just simplify things for me. So I'm keen for that. Yes, I agree. I'm just yeah interested to yeah look at the data and see how it feels and see how it compares as Andy was saying, like you could run on a really steep hill or a less steep hill. And how do you know exactly what intensity to go across those when you're just using heart rate or pace? Um, there's so many variables. So I'm really excited just to yeah simplify that process and test it out and put it on our shoes. How cool. I know it's so good. One other thing, and I'll say this before we start the episode, which I think so if you kind of thought I was being a bit silly when I said it, but I had a concern about how easy it was to get on and off your shoes because 
I don't want to be wasting any time getting a bloody device on and off. Hence why I, I wear my watch 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I do not take it off until I'm charging it, obviously. I know some people think that's weird to wear your watch to bed, but whatever, I do it. Obviously, you're not going to wear your power device to bed, but <laughs> you can just clip <laughs> it onto your shoes. Like you can put your shoes on and then just like clip it in over the laces straight away. So you don't have to be like, mucking around fixing your laces retying yeah yeah I thought you might have to thread them through yes I think but when you're being preventative of injury and you've got 13 different pairs of shoes that is not practical so well I know luckily that's not an issue just (laughs) it right on on and off through the rotation anyway Sophie Lane I really want to hear about your training I think you're week six into your Tarawira block and you sort of started the training block with a little bit of a hamstring well actually should I say coming back from a hamstring injury but Mm -hmm. to be honest like it just really has never quite well maybe maybe you tell me now it's it's hit 100% but I feel like it's kind of lingered in this late stage rehab for a little while a little while longer than we'd like so where is that at now how's the training going I know you've done a stupid amount of races which I'm not surprised at (laughs) oh how's the body feeling yeah um pretty <laughs> that good. Sounded good that just that first yeah sounded yeah. great <laughs> I to be honest felt my hamstring for the first time oh yesterday in I want to say a month I reckon okay. and it was just going up some steep hills with like big rock you know you got to do like a big hurdle onto a rock that kind of thing mm-hmm. a bit repetitively and I was like oh there's a tiny little bit there woke up the next day didn't feel it, ran the next day, didn't feel it. So it was kind of just in that moment. Um, yeah, that's okay. That's good. Yeah, so I'm quite happy with where it's at. I haven't really noticed it at all leading up to that for, yeah, at least three or four weeks. Um, oh, I'm so happy. So, yeah, body's actually feeling really good, responding really well to the training. I was going to try and have a look at my straps. Um, last week was like 73Ks. It's mostly been around sort of mid-60s. Um, let me bring it up. But it's a nice little graph going on. Yeah, so some nice trails lately as well. Yeah, so I've had like 10 weeks consistently, yeah, between 60 to 70 Ks basically um, with a few little downs, a few little ups in terms of Ks there. But, yeah, everything's feeling good. I had that month of, yeah, like four races slash events, um, which were all kind of 25 to 30 Ks, and they were all super fun, as you can imagine. Um, And I didn't push any of them super hard, obviously, because I was backing up the following week and they're not the priority um but I definitely didn't just plot along like I gave some of them a good go and seemed to respond pretty well to it and everything's feeling good touch wood which for like the last two weeks I'm like oh it's been a little while of no injuries what's oh, gonna happen gosh. next you know when you're just like waiting for it to come yeah but I'm trying really hard to that for that to not happen but you just often you know there's a lot that it comes down to luck and chance so I'm Have just you trying a to week coming up yeah, I believe so. I um, My programming is being done by Tim Locke from the Distance Collective and he is looking after all of that. I did have like a slight – it's been – because of all the races, it's been tricky. Like there's always just been a 30K on the weekend. So some of my like midweek has been lowered. Um, but I don't know what's coming up. I think I only have next week available to read. So I'm not sure, but I assume there will be a deload sometime soon. Mm. um but yeah everything's good. good I've got some threshold intervals on Wednesday I had a threshold session last week as well which was fun um but yeah I oh yeah there we go so I've got a 25k run 
in a couple of weeks, which I assume will be my deload week. And then it'll be Christmas, then January, and then I'll be a month of training and then overseas and then the race. So it's coming quickly. Oh, I'm so happy. I just love hearing this. Like, mm. oh, how good. I'm so, so excited. Yeah. And I know you said, I think you've said this in the podcast already, but just how nice it feels. Maybe you've just said it to me, how nice it feels to just not have to think about your training. Like having mm. someone coach you, you're just like, oh, this is what I've got to do. And like, I imagine that it's a little bit of both. Like sometimes you're like, oh, kind of is like slightly annoying to do this here. But then it's also so great because you just know what you have to do and you just do it. Like, is that still yeah. feeling like that? Yeah, I used to spend so much time. Like on a Sunday, I'd look at my week and be like, okay, well, I could run here and then I could run there. And then if something would change, then I'd move it. And I would waste so much time just thinking about when I was going to train. And then if I would miss it, then I'd have to move it. And then I was like trying to make up Ks. And then I just like so much wasted energy on trying to figure out the logistics of that. Um, And now it's just like in the diary ahead of schedule and I just do it and it's so nice. I really, it's just like so much less energy on that. So I can put more energy into the training and yeah, I'm enjoying it. I've been doing, yeah, some really nice trails, did Bob and Head and Royal National Park on the weekend. was in Wagga, which was fun. Then we had more than a run. Corey Run Club's going strong, Stromlo, all sorts of fun things. So yeah, I'm really enjoying, really enjoying running at the moment. Like it's probably the most I'm enjoying it most that I have enjoyed it in a while. Like it just, it doesn't wow. feel like Wow, this is what happens when you start running with me. <laughs> well, I was about to say, except for that. That's the only thing missing. Is what a your coincidence chatty... that I haven't been there for so long and suddenly you're running so well. I meant physically. I feel good physically. <laughs> Conversationally, right. it's lacking severely. I just talk to myself. It's quite sad. Oh, I mean, that's quite nice. They're often good runs and you're just not, not as nice as you. Though. Oh, Can't well, I'm hoping now. I'll be back sooner rather than yeah, later. Yeah, what's the, is there a time frame? Oh, yeah, it's just, oh, it's so, like, my foot is still so weird. Like, it's still inconsistent, but it's been the most consistent it's been. And for context, just for the listeners, or if anyone doesn't know, it's actually, I don't think I've fully explained all the things, but pretty much everything was good until I tore my hamstring at the start of this year, like around March and it was a proximal tendon tear. So tendons take a lot longer and I definitely did a worse job than I realized. Like looking back, I, I don't regret how I managed it initially, but I, I mean, I, I think I could have taken more rest. And I know people would have said, Lydia, like you ran 70 Ks the week you tore it. Like that was really dumb. And yes, I think that week was a bit dumb. Like, yes, it was. In saying that, I never pushed through pain because of the position of the tear. It was in my proximal tendon. So it was almost more comfortable to shuffle in this little jog than it was just to walk normally. Like walking was actually quite challenging. And things like getting in out of the car, in out of bed, heels, stairs, et cetera, were like just not doable at all. But like a little shuffle on the flat was actually okay. Anyway, basically since then, hip injury, whole bunch of nervy stuff in my leg, which I think then has ended up with this weird thing with my foot, which the current diagnosis is cuboid syndrome and I'm treating it by mobilizing my cuboid bone as well as doing some foot intrinsic strength. And just last week I've started calf raising again, but the main symptom that I had was like either really, really sharp pain every time I tried to lift my heel up off the ground. And then the other main symptom was like this dead foot where like I just have no power, <laughs> which is quite, um, quite <laughs> what's that word? Quite ironic. <laughs> quite ironic considering this episode is about power and I've got no power but yeah this right foot just like 
just didn't like I just not painful but I just like physically couldn't even jump off it if I wanted to so I think there's definitely some nervy stuff still going on and I get like a lot of this like perineal nerve type symptoms but anyway at the moment I've been doing my walking like I'm able to walk pretty much as much as I want without any issues and I've started trying to jog on some grass surfaces and some downhills just like you know like 10 meters at a time and just sort of see how it feels and it's pretty much pain free um yesterday I did my usual headland loop which is like eight and a half k's and I like walk that every day sometimes twice a day like I'm doing it heaps like I'm really enjoying my walks really getting into it as you guys know Mm -hmm. and yesterday I ran heaps of it so I just was like it doesn't hurt right now on the grass on the downhill even uphill is better than flat like give me the hills and uneven surfaces not the flat firm concrete like that's the worst thing for it and so yesterday I just did quite a bit of it like the whole lap probably takes an hour 45 if I walk and then I think it took me like an hour 15 so like I obviously wasn't running much of it but like I saved half an hour so I must have like jogged quite a few sections do you know what I mean Mm, yeah but like considering I would run it in 45 minutes it's like obviously Mm. it's still like a whole extra half hour anyway what I'm trying to say is like I ran a lot more of it than I have um the last obviously because I haven't been running for like really the best part of six months now but yeah it felt totally fine got home had my dinner sat down eating my dinner and then got up and like walked into the kitchen and like the way I like test out how my foot is is I stand on one leg and try and just shift weight onto the front of my foot like not even do a calf raise but just shift weight onto the front of my foot and when it was bad it was like pain that would make me cry but it just was like the dead foot again this this is yesterday I just could not I was like, oh my God, I can't, I literally cannot do it. Like there's just, I've just got no power. I can't even like shift weight on the front of my foot. Not pain, mm-hmm. but just like no power. I was like, fuck, it's back to the old thing again. But then I just mobbed that cuboid bone and went back to 100% pain-free. And that's it. Took some anti-inflammatories. And this morning, it's just totally fine. So I just like, I don't know, what does that mean? Don't run, do run. I think I'm going to wait at least a couple of weeks mm. and I might try that same thing again in another week. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I just want I don't want to like commit to starting running until I've just done a few little tests on the grass. And as mm. I said, I've done a lot of little tests the last two weeks in secret. When I say in secret, like I don't want my foot to know about it. I don't want me to know about it. I'm trying not to tell <laughs> my brain. I'm like closing my eyes. I'm like, you can't see it. It's not happening. But I'm just testing it a little bit. So I, I'm just going to keep doing little bits of that. Yeah. It's kind of like a walk run, right? But I'm just like not officializing it because I couldn't do a timed version of it because it's literally just like it needs to be downhill. It needs to be grass. Do you know what I mean? So like yeah. I'm trying to just build a bit of capacity and a bit of tolerance and test it out but without – fully committing to anything. Do you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, I think that's great. I think it, um, yeah, there's no need to stick to like a, um, you know, the program. typical walk to run. Like if you were it's like, I have know, to do a minute. Yeah. Well, I just don't think that's, why does that, why does it have to be a minute or whatever that number is? Like mm. if you know that you feel good on a certain terrain and yeah. however long that is going to take you and that feels yeah. good that rather than being like. Yeah, rigid. it's very terrain independent and I'm like can Mm. I run here really smooth really comfortable like I've got to like I am just being very much mindful of how it feels and I just don't think that that would fit into a number right now 
So I'm very excited to be doing that. Although at the same time, I'm not really, I'm not really doing it being like, oh my God, I'm running. I'm kind of like, I, I don't know yet if this is just going to like bring it all back again. So mm. Because the thing is, with all the different people that I've seen, like I've seen so many people, gotten so many images. Well, so many. I've had three images, two ultrasounds, one MRI. Mm-hmm. Seeing doc- sports doctor, seeing two sports podiatrists, so many physios. Like no one really quite has a clear idea of what's going on. Like the best mm. diagnosis is that cuboid. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, it's just it's. I've got to kind of manage uh, function and symptoms. And the thing is like, I still need to be able to get back to just being able to hop on one leg. And I've started doing a few little hops at home, just like single leg, like barely even getting off the ground. And it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel normal, but it's like better than it's been in the last, you know, six months. So we're getting there. I think we are actually getting there. Um, Mm. I, I just, I don't know, like, is this process of going from doing calf raises to being able to hop on one leg going to take a month? Is it going to take two weeks? Like, based on the fact that I've got this, like, inability to hop and then I move my foot for two minutes and then suddenly I can walk again. I'm like, oh, like, if I get that immediate relief, then surely if I just do that every day, which I am, like, three times a day, surely I'll be able to run soon. Mm. Um, So I'm thinking about doing another course of anti-inflammatories as well. Maybe. but on the positive side I'm enjoying my walking a lot I'm doing heaps and heaps of free diving like I'm getting in most days for a dive Mm -hmm. which is so nice um I have been at the gym less which is a bit unlike Mm -hmm. me but I'm just really prioritizing being in nature I think Mm -hmm. there's been a lot going on in life lately and for me being in nature is very calming so spending a lot of time slash as much as possible which for me is like being on the headland it's like a little bit like I'm in a trail but not fully in a trail mm. on my days off I've been trying to get away to the national park I went down to Jungong Falls last week on my day off and I've gotten back into surfing which I'm so excited about <laughs> three out of three days the last three days and it's so good it's really nice good I'm so glad you're getting back into that I think that is a nice way to fill your cup and feel good. Mm. It's nice to have those things. So I am pleased for you and I, yeah, look forward to hearing the updates on the progress. Mm. Yes, me I too. wish I had something to tell you about how to do it, but I know, I know. it is beyond me. Yeah, but that's okay. It is all about the journey. And, you know, if I can't get back to running, I'm going to be surfer so it's all good we're gonna make it work gonna be out there doing the things and oh we just have to get you in on the board so feeling yeah i am feeling inspired i do still have my board and it is ready to be oh, used. i forgot about that oh, oh yeah i was a surfer well before you <laughs> i can't really yeah. forget that you yeah. remember seeing me catch that one wave <laughs> i remember actually and i was there in my 2xu triathlon wetsuit swimming around do you remember Maybe yeah you were just bobbing page. around yeah I was like, I'm just yeah. going to do some swim training while you're on a surfboard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Gosh. How fun. Things have changed. Yeah. But, yeah, wow. I'll, I'll bring it out. You just wait. Cool. So, in summary, Sophie Lane, yeah. of the last week, what yeah. do you think you didn't do well but you're going to do better for the next week? Um, You've really put me on the spot there. Are you going to give yours first, seeing as you've clearly thought about this? 
Um, I think I did last week pretty well. <laughs> yeah, well, so do I. That's why I'm struggling to think. <laughs> um, no, I think what I'm going to do is get to the gym more, which is so, so hard because I literally just said that I'm finding being in nature is like more calming for me at the moment and working really well. But I think also with my, like normally at the gym four or five times a week and I'm being there like twice at the most, which is kind of like just enough to like maintain some strength. But I think at the moment with all the injuries I've had this year, I can't let strength be like maintaining, like especially like my hamstring is still not hundred percent. Like getting back on the surfboard, I actually felt my hamstring and I was like, mm-hmm. I haven't felt this for like, months and months so I think I I can't really be in a place where I'm like oh I'm just gonna chill out on strength because I actually think I need like I don't I think I'm the least strong I've ever been in, mm. or at least I've been in like the last five years and that's really just because I've been injured and I've spent all my time rehabbing injuries in the gym than actually progressing just my general normal strength so yeah I think what I could do better this week is fit that in and I'm actually thinking maybe walking slightly less so I can fit in the gym a bit more (laughs) it's so hard I'm like I've got so many activities like bouldering walking gym surfing diving I don't know where running's gonna fit in yeah something's gonna have to go priorities um mine would probably be I had a few late late nights so go to bed (laughs) earlier (laughs) Sophie Lane, go to bed. Do it. I believe in you. Thanks. Um, All right. Thank you so much for listening, team. Please check out the link below for your own stride. And we will follow up soon once we have received ours and we've tested them out and given them a good rundown. Um, We'll let you know how we go. All right, guys. Enjoy the episode. Enjoy your day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.